2: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Today, we're going to share a classic interview with Michael Knowles, author of Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, in the second hour of today's program. We're also going to take a look at a couple of studies on the pandemic's impact on congregations. Are we returning to church is the question. We'll find out what the answer is that's coming up also in the second hour of today's program. First, we'll take a look at some of the day's news. Millions of children in that uh, the age group. Uh, what is it? Five to uh, to 12 have been vaccinated. According to um, according to recent research, uh, that age range became eligible to receive the covid-19 vaccine last week. And of course, it's a reduced dose. More than four hundred and thirty two thousand kids under the age of 12 are Uh, at least partially vaccinated against COVID-19, according to data from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Now, this is under the circumstance that parents have the freedom to decide whether or not to have their children vaccinated. The agency reported that the age group represents roughly 7% of the people who got their first shot over the last two weeks. The CDC officially recommended the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine for children ages 5 to 11. uh, On the 2nd of this month, following prior approval by the U.S. Food and Drug administration, opening up vaccinations to 28 million kids across the country. Earlier in the month, the White House assured the government has enough of the Pfizer vaccine for all of that age group. We're in great shape on supply. The White House coronavirus coordinator, uh, Jeff Zients, said during the briefing. Now, he said on Wednesday that about 900,000 kids in that age group will have received their first dose of COVID-19 vaccine in their first week of eligibility. And about 700,000 first-shot appointments are scheduled for the coming days. Nearly 20,000 pharmacies, clinics, physicians' offices are administering the doses to young children whose parents uh, choose to have them vaccinated. And those who get their first of two shots by the end of the week will be fully vaccinated by Christmas. At the end of October, the FDA confirmed results from the Pfizer a test showing that its two-dose shot was nearly 91 percent effective at preventing symptomatic infection in young children. And while children are less likely to suffer severe COVID-19 infections with the Delta variant, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease Director Dr. Fauci said kids get infected and transmit just as readily as adults do, although the numbers don't quite bear that out. Well, if history is our guide, Republicans may come after uh, these Sesame Street characters again in the future. We're talking about conservatives taking on Big Bird over his role. Big Bird is a he, isn't he? Big Bird's a he? Yeah. Uh, Over COVID, although these days, I'll just leave it at that. Um, Anyway, he's weighed in on the vaccine for kids. Senator Ted Cruz uh, out of Texas went there. He uh took on Big Bird and the Fowl's advocacy for the COVID-19 vaccine. He tweeted that Big Bird's efforts to encourage kids to get vaccinated was government propaganda for your five-year-old. Now, should you appeal to the kids or should you appeal to the parents? Uh, they are not of an age of consent, so he considered this somewhat underhanded. Representative Chip Roy, uh, also a Republican out of Texas, blasted the government in its infinite wisdom for propaganda. He argued the government was trying to portray children as superheroes for getting vaccinated. And who doesn't want to be a superhero? Well, the American people are waking up to what bureaucrats are doing every single day, he says, undermining our freedoms and using a PBS as the long arm of the government. Uh, Big Bird prompted a rebuke from the right after touting that he got vaccinated in a tweet. We know on its face that's a lie. Big Bird is not vaccinated. I'm just saying I got the covid-19 vaccine today. Big Bird said my wing is feeling a little sore, but I'll uh, get my body an extra protective boost that keeps me and others healthy. Big Bird tweeted now for a couple of things are wrong with this story. First of all, Big Bird doesn't have hands to tweet with. He's a bird. And secondly, Big Bird did not get the vaccine. It's just a lie. Okay, maybe I'm taking it a little more seriously than I ought. But (laughs) and Big Bird's audience, as Chris pointed out, should not be on Twitter. Anyway, the president even tweeted compliments to Big Bird. Getting vaccinated is the best way to keep your whole neighborhood safe. The president tweeted the fictional character named Big Bird. Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton then sent a tweet about Big Bird. Teaching children things uh, like how to stay healthy. She included in her tweet a photo of her posing with Big Bird. Uh, Cruz fired back, taking aim at the uh, former Secretary of State. Captured in the wild, rare image of Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. Cruz, Cruz tweeted, anyway, anyway, Big Bird is not vaccinated. I just, I don't know. It's just wrong, ladies and gentlemen. It's just, It's just the wrong thing. Anyway, (laughs) uh, if the Biden administration's COVID-19 vaccine mandate for private employers survives legal challenges, and there are a number of them, It will include criminal prosecution for employees who lie about their vaccine status and thousands in fines for companies that don't comply. In other words, they're going to be held accountable. Enforcing the mandate covering 84.2 million Americans working for 164,000 different businesses and other organizations could pose a pretty significant challenge and might rely on employees snitching on their bosses and their colleagues. Well, the um, doesn't that sound American? No, no, no. That was the Soviet Union. I, I get those confused these days. Anyway, the uh, the designated enforcer for the vaccine mandate is the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA, a relatively small federal agency with about 1,850 inspectors, the Wall Street Journal reports. Now, these include federally approved state inspectors. There aren't enough of them to monitor uh, all of us, so... Um, The snitch system is probably what uh, they're going to be relying on. To help with implementation, they're requiring employers to collect and retain documentation of every worker's vaccination status and COVID test results. A senior fellow from the Heritage Foundation points out, it appears that OSHA is counting on workers to report on their employers and colleagues. Um, But it's not clear that OSHA has the capacity to respond to every complaint. They don't really need to respond to every complaint. They just need to respond to enough of them. To put the fear of um, the government in the hearts and minds of other employers who don't want to face the large fines and risk being found out. Anyway, um, enforcement of this huge challenge uh, for the administration will move forward, but it's not altogether clear that it will um, survive a challenge in the courts. We'll talk more about that when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast, it is aired on 93.9 KPDQ
2: we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice show. We're winding our way through some of the top news stories of the day. Among them, a former FDA commissioner says in another month or two, we'll be on the back end of the Delta wave. Now, should we be encouraged? Uh, I don't know. When asked when we can begin lifting regulations in schools like quarantine after exposure, now that elementary school children are eligible to be vaccinated, the former FDA commissioner, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, said on Sunday that once we get through the Delta variant, you'll see restrictions lifted depending on the community. But schools will be last in lifting restrictions. He went on to say, and this was on CBS Face the Nation. I think after we get through with this Delta wave on the back end of this um, Delta wave, you're going to see prevalence. um. Uh, be very low across the country. You look at what's happening in the South right now, where there are seven, eight cases per 100,000 people per day after the Delta wave has swept through that part of the country. End quote. Uh, They paid a very heavy price for it in terms of high levels of infection. But I think after this Delta wave, this Delta virus moves through the different parts of the country and it's moving through the country right now. In another month or two, I think we'll be on the back end of this and prevalence will be very low and you'll start to see local communities lift those restrictions. Some are already lifting them, but I think the schools are probably going to be the last places that we lift some of these restrictions. And he goes on. From there. And I'm not sure whether or not to be encouraged. That's a speculation on his part. I don't doubt that perhaps it will be less susceptible, but whether or not restrictions will be lifted because they have become, well, very useful to some politicians. We'll have to wait and see. Well, the White House is encouraging businesses to push workers to get vaccinated for coronavirus, despite a federal court injunction temporarily staying the administration's vaccination requirement for large employers. When asked what the administration thinks employers should do as the, at this stage, the White House Deputy Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, told reporters that employers should encourage vaccinations. We say do not wait to take actions that will keep your workplace safe. Uh, People should not wait. They should continue to move forward and make sure they're getting their workplace vaccinated, end quote. She added, it's important and critical to do and waiting to get more people vaccinated will lead to more outbreaks and sickness, end quote. Well, the comments come after the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ordered an injunction against the mandate on Saturday, concluding that there could be a grave statutory and constitutional issues with the requirement. The outline of the mandate was 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 uh, released on Thursday. It will require businesses with 100 or more employees to mandate COVID-19 vaccinations for workers. Unvaccinated employees would be allowed to continue to work as long as they submit weekly COVID tests and wear a mask on the job. And there are some exemptions or some exceptions, I should say. There are some uh, locales where regular testing is not an option. Well, the president ordered the uh, Labor Department's Occupational Safety and Health Administration to develop the mandate that he uh, ordered, However, the lawsuit filed in the Fifth Circuit Court by Texas, Louisiana, uh, I should say, and various businesses claim that the mandate does not fall under OSHA's authority. At least 26 states have filed suit against the mandate since Friday last. According to CNBC, the administration officials have insisted that OSHA retains the authority to implement the mandate. But that is still a very large, unopened question. I should say open question. Well, the president said the bipartisan infrastructure bill passed in the House of Representatives on Friday will lower the price of consumer goods and a speech at the Baltimore Port today. Uh, He's going to, by the way, have the signing ceremony on Monday. Along with other plans that I'm advancing, the president said this bill is going to reduce the cost of goods to consumers, businesses and get people back to work, helping us build an economy where everybody's better off. End quote. The remarks came after the Labor Department announced that the Consumer Price Index increased 6.2 percent from the previous year, the highest increase in 30 years. The president attributed the high inflation to supply chain issues stemming from the fallout from the coronavirus pandemic. That's certainly a part of it, but not the full explanation. Uh, My administration, he went on to say, has a plan to finish the job of getting us back to normal from the pandemic and having a stronger economy that we've ever had before. However, the president noted that everything from a gallon of gas to a loaf of bread costs more. Well, yeah, I think most of the people who are listening would know that better than you, since we actually have to go to the store and buy these things. Did you ever think you'd be paying this much for a gallon of gas? He said, acknowledging that Americans are paying Four dollars and 50 cents for a gallon of gas in some parts of the country, in other parts more than five dollars a gallon in a statement of the obvious. Well, the president Wednesday suggested once again that Americans do not understand supply chains and how they work. It has to be difficult to be president over so many stupid people. Uh, The president's comments came during a speech in Baltimore about his agenda and the bipartisan infrastructure deal. You hear a lot about the supply chains in the news, but frankly, not a lot of people have a clear understanding, whether they have a Ph.D. or they didn't go to school, about how a supply chain works. So it must be so incredibly complex that it just cannot be understood. You have a Ph.D., you can't get it. Uh, which makes me wonder, does the president get it? I mean, he's not a PhD. Does, can he explain the supply chain? Because this is inscrutable, apparently. Well, he put it uh, into simple terms how supply chains work. In simple terms, supply chain is just the journey that a product takes to get to your doorstep. Now, let me repeat that because most of us clearly are just, we don't have enough gray cells to comprehend. Okay, this is how the president explained it. You might want to write this down because you might need to read it over again to fully comprehend what the supply chain is. In simple terms, supply chain is just the journey that a product takes to get to your doorstep. I know it's over all of our heads, but just write it down. Maybe ask someone brighter than yourself to explain what this means. But I'll repeat it for those of you who are struggling. In simple terms, supply chain means Um, the journey that a product takes to get to your doorstep. Okay, you have the manufacturer, the people who put the thing together. They finish the thing and then they hire someone to transport that thing from where they've manufactured it to where you live. That might require a big truck. It might require a train, an airplane. Uh, It might require a boat. But that journey from where it was produced to where you live is essentially the supply chain. I, I know, it's just, it kind of blows your mind. The complexity of it is, is nearly... I'm going to have to take a nap after this just to... Anyway, the president insisted it eas- it's easily understandable, but a PhD can't get it, he said earlier. It's easily understandable uh, why Americans um, would not comprehend how incredibly complex such a chain uh, works. As long as goods and materials are getting where they need to go on time, there's usually no need to worry about the supply chain. This is not the first time the president appeared to question Americans' intellectual abilities when it comes to the topic. While discussing the nation's ongoing supply chain crisis on Saturday, he asked whether Americans would understand what he was talking about. Well, I have to confess, there are times when I don't understand what he's talking about. This is not one of them, but there have been times when I've really kind of struggled. I'm not a Ph.D., so that might explain it. If we were all going out and having lunch together, the president said, let's ask whoever is in the middle uh, of the next table, no matter what restaurant we're in, have them explain the supply chain to us. Do you think they'd understand what we're talking about? The president said at the time. It's got to be a tremendous burden to have a superior intellect that can understand the complexities and challenges of the supply chain. I've done the best that I can, ladies and gentlemen, to try to explain it. I realize it's a concept beyond most of us, but that's the best I can do at this time. Uh, Chris, do you have an aspirin? That My mind is kind of blown, so I might need something. As I mentioned earlier, U.S. consumer prices accelerated at the fastest annual pace in more than 30 years as supply chain bottlenecks and material shortages persist and gasoline prices surge now i realize i'm passing that information along and you probably don't understand what i've just explained but um just nod and pretend that you do and know that there are people who are trying to take care of this for us chris just asked me what the supply chain okay it's the we'll talk during the break it's this is tough stuff anyway um, good news and bad news about inflation. We'll share that with you when we come back. in just, well, do I have time to get into that right now? I got a couple of minutes. No, we need to take a break. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're talking about um, some of the headlines and coming up in our second hour. Michael Knowles, speechless, controlling words, controlling minds. Well, great news, everyone. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen promises the Federal Reserve wouldn't permit inflation to reach double digits like it was in the 1970s. (sighs) What a relief. Well, the bad news. Inflation hit six point two percent in October, which is the highest since 1990, and worse than experts expected. Yes, again, with the experts and expectations. Well, there's plenty more good news, bad news as well. Hourly wages rose 0.4% in October, but real wages, accounting for inflation, fell by 0.5%. Higher wages are great, but companies have to pay for that by raising prices, which then reduces purchasing power. Now, if you trade in your used car, you'll get a great offer, but only because prices are up 26.4% for the year. New cars are a whole lot better, but only because prices are up just 9.8% by comparison, and good luck finding a new car. So-called core inflation is up 6.2% for the year, but that's only because that measure doesn't include more volatile things like food and energy, you know, stuff we actually need on a regular basis. Fuel prices are up 59.1% for the year, and energy overall is 30% higher. Well, that trend's... Um, uh, happens when an administration wages war on American energy producers, and we've seen that war being waged. Well, food prices overall are up only, in quotes, only 5.4 percent, but meat, poultry, fish and eggs are collectively 11.9 percent more expensive this year. You might also notice another kind of inflation, smaller amounts of food in the same packaging for the same price. Unfortunately, food and energy tend to dominate Family budgets, And by the way, that whole supply chain thing, the food that you eat has to be transported from where it was produced to where you uh, are going to purchase it and that uh, the the energy costs, the fuel costs are part of that cost. Well, the good news, I know it's a bit over our heads. The good news is that few people are still telling you not to gather for Thanksgiving this year. The bad news is that according to the New York Times, Thanksgiving 2021 could be the most expensive meal in the history of the holiday. The pilgrims would be outraged. If you can find one, turkey prices alone are up 41 point, uh, excuse me, 41 percent. Though, to be fair, demand and prices last year were suppressed. Traveling by plane, train or automobile will cost more this year, too. Again, energy prices. The good news um, from uh, CNBC anyway, the inflation data comes as policymakers such as the Fed chairman Jerome Powell and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen maintain that the current price pressures are temporary and related to pandemic specific issues. They can't quite prove that. Uh, I'd like to believe it, but we'll have to wait and see if they're correct. While they have uh, conceded that inflation has been more persistent than they expected, they see conditions returning to normal over the next year or so. A year is a really long time. Anyway, the uh, the bad news, Yellen, Powell, and others uh, persist in denying that inflation is a longer-term problem and that 2022 likely won't show the improvement they keep promising. A big indicator is that Of that is that wholesale prices, which were up 8.6% in October, the Labor Department has tracked that number only since 2010, but this is the worst yet. And um, as Mercer University economist Antonio Saravia warns, it shows that inflation is not slowing down and prices continue to rise. The higher prices retailers pay today will be passed on to consumers tomorrow. Even so, Yellen insists, and I quote, as people feel safer, the demand for these goods whose prices are rising will diminish and they're going to go back to services in a more normal pattern. And at that time, at that point, rather, I'd expect the price increases to level off and will go back to. Inflation That's closer to the 2% uh, we consider normal. Now, I hope and I pray that Yellen is right, but I can't quite make the numbers work. Oh, well, by the way, even 2% inflation is still a huge tax on consumers. Well, we'll switch to good news, bad news um, Uh, On this one, the bad news is that the disruption in the supply chain, which we don't get, are a big driver of rising prices. The good news is that there are literally tons of goods parked on container ships in the Pacific just waiting to be unloaded. Whenever union port workers feel like getting to it. Um, Despite the fact that the president just a couple of weeks ago said he had solved the problem. Well, as we said repeatedly, government shut down the economy. Government paid workers more to not go back to work than to take a job. Government inflates the money supply with massive spending and by printing money. And government keeps interest rates so low that it increases demand for debt. Yet the president and congressional members plan to do it. Um, do it all even harder because they're convinced that the reason all of Barack Obama's stimulus spending resulted in the slowest recovery on record was because it wasn't big enough. Well, indeed, uh, the president has the gall to declare the bipartisan infrastructure deal will help ease inflationary pressures. Sadly, the opposite is true. Mr. Obama's economy suffered from a lack of demand, says the Wall Street Journal's Greg Ip. Mr. Biden's suffers from a lack of supply, therefore pouring more demand into a supply constrained economy, as Biden did earlier this year already and wants to do again, fed inflation. Well, on a final note, The New York Times says the real culprit here is ungrateful citizens. So this is really your fault. Americans are flush with cash and jobs. It's headline reds, a red rather. They also think the economy is awful. In this um, uh, telling, we're letting inflation manipulate us into thinking the economy is bad when it actually is good. All of us rubes out here are fly in flyover country and those of us on the coast as well just aren't thankful enough for everything Joe Biden has done for us. So um, the final note is it's really your fault. You're not grateful enough. Well, it's probably true that we're not grateful enough, but I'm not sure that trickles down to what the uh, problem with the economy is. Well, taking a look at other news, the Bay Area is in a panic as vaccine mandates will disproportionately keep blacks out of school with some Bay Area school districts requiring students to get covid-19 shots to return to a class. Black students are being vaccinated at rates far lower than their peers, exacerbating longstanding racial disparities laid bare by the pandemic and raising fears that these students could be disproportionately shut out of public schools. So what will they do with that? Rutgers University faculty groups are uh, showing support for a student. uh, I should say a white professor. I should say a professor who hates Caucasians Two Rutgers University faculty groups have come out in support of professor crunk, also known as Brittany Cooper, who said in a recent interview that, and I'm quoting white people are committed to being villains. That's all of you, every single one of you apparently. And as such, We got to take these expletives out. And two uh, faculty groups at Rutgers University supports this teacher and her comments nicaraguan elections are a sham as ortega shuts down the opposition no big news there thanks to republicans the house passed the bipartisan 1.2 trillion dollar infrastructure bill to be signed into law on monday by the president uh, to russia and china's delight the biden administration is considering shutting down another pipeline drawing criticism and dire warnings as winter nears saying people are suffering senator john barrasso slammed energy secretary for laughing over gas prices Joe Manchin was blocked in his car by climate protesters who claim he tried to run them over. He was actually trying to get home. Uh, Republicans pressed the president to abandon the nuclear talks with Iran uh, struck a U.S. military outpost in Syria. They say that should preclude any conversation we have on the subject. ATF ominously amassed millions of records on gun owners amid a new crackdown on firearms. What they plan to do with that information remains to be seen under the administration. A federal court issued a temporary halt to the president's vaccine mandate over grave statutory and constitutional issues. And it's a death trap. ICE officers file an OSHA complaint over illegal immigrant COVID risks. Calling it neither correct nor effective, a Democratic governor came out against the vaccine mandate. And the U.S. has lifted the pandemic travel ban, opening the doors to visitors. America is already short 80,000 truck drivers, and the industry is warning that the vaccine mandate will only make it worse. Supply chain kind of fits in there. Retailers are scrambling to attract workers ahead of the holidays. Virginia Democrats conceded defeat, saying Republicans now control the Virginia House. Boy Scouts of America have embraced critical race theory, and NASCAR condemned a Let's Go Brandon chant, threatening to sue. I'm not sure who you sue under that circumstance. No joke, the Taliban is asking for international aid to help it fight climate change. The Iraqi prime minister has been targeted in an assassination attempt. And a Clinton operative linked to the Steele dossier didn't disclose work for Russia to the Department of Justice. Meanwhile, former DNI John Ratcliffe expects many more Durham indictments. Joe Biden's FBI just raided the homes of Project Veritas reporters over the missing diary of his daughter, Ashley. A federal crime? Why not a state offense rather than a federal probe? Is this a gross overreach? Is the president using the FBI for his personal interest? That's an open question. Senator Rick Scott lays out his game plan for how Republicans will win back the Senate and the Daily Wire in 2022. The SpaceX capsule um, uh, toilet issues mean that astronauts will return to Earth in diapers. <sighs> The sacrifice made on behalf of science and exploration. You never saw that on Star Trek. The L.A. County Sheriff ripped liberal DA George Gascon for releasing a convicted killer. The New Jersey gubernatorial candidate Sia Torelli is weighing a recount demand in the New Jersey governor's race. And New Jersey Governor Murphy says Democrat policies prevented him from being swept away by the GOP. He has no current plan to end covid mandates despite the close race. New Jersey Democrat Steve Sweeney is refusing to concede the election to the GOP truck type driver, saying thousands of ballots have been found. Well, I think he is now conceded elf by himself A judge jokingly bans the tyranny of the elf on the shelf. Santa's little helper may be notably absent for Christmas this year as a Georgia judge jokingly banned the elf on the shelf. Uh, Taking to Twitter, Cobb County Superior Court uh, Chief Judge Robert Leonard offered parents a gift to remove the iconic elf, who has traditionally moved throughout the home to determine whether a child has been naughty or nice from this year's decorations. Creepy is the word that I often think of tired of living in elf on the shelf tyranny, not looking forward to the elf, forgetting to move and causing your kids emotional distress. I am a public servant and I and will, he says, take the heat from you. My gift to tired uh parents rather. He uh, said in a tweet. Inexplicably, elves sometimes move and don't move overnight. When those elves do not move, it leaves our children of tender years in states of extreme emotional distress. The judge continued in the order. He cited 11 tyranny. And a horrific incident involving an elf in his own home. Three children were sent to school in tears with one child being labeled an elf murderer and accused of making the elf lose his magic. Well, the court has uh, no doubt the day of education was lost to everyone. The George recalled judge recalled rather the order was mostly well received online with some people even calling for their local legal system to enact similar bans. Well, a little lighthearted contribution Well, SpaceX returned four astronauts to Earth, ending a 200 day flight. A slain Iowa teacher told the local paper, we will we all know we are going to die the day before the killing. And Aaron Rodgers is pretty upset with being crucified for his covid vaccine explanation. The penalty has now been announced for his uh, lack of vaccination. New York state's uh, gambling regulators have approved nine mobile sports betting operators and art is among the hottest markets on Earth. Ah, that's good news for Hunter Biden. Rich millennials to financial advisors, thanks for the golf invite, but you can't invest my money. And Senate Democrats are demanding President Biden release oil from the strategic reserve. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in the second hour, we'll hear from Michael Knowles, author of Speechless. We'll also take a look at a couple of studies on how the impact, the pandemic rather, has impacted congregations and whether or not people are returning to in-person services. Well, the story claims 70 percent of Americans have climate change, anxiety and depression, 70 percent. It appears to be coming from a group called Climate Psychology Alliance, but there's no link to explain where the data actually originates. Eric Erickson points out that no link to the survey that comes from an advocacy group. This isn't news. This is propaganda from a trade association. Emails reveal Arizona police conspired with a school board to stop a concerned parents group. They tracked and plotted how to silence parents who opposed critical race theory in schools. One option was arresting them. The South Carolina School Boards Association has left the national group and Democrats are starting to see the benefits of nuclear power. Up to 56 percent now was as low as 37 percent in 2018. Rather interesting. Pete Buttigieg says the administration will use the infrastructure bill to address racist highway design. Okay, I'm a woman. I'm African-American. I'm struggling here. Advising listeners to stay angry, former President Barack Obama scolded all of us back at home on climate from Glasgow, giving a reminder of how badly he governed. Uh, the woke U.S. Navy named a ship after the accused pedophile Harvey Milk, and China's Navy is now the world's largest with 460 warships by 2030. China is building uh, mock-ups of U.S. Navy ships in an area used for missile target practice. Trying to send a message, one wonders. A Kenosha protester says he was, in fact, pointing his gun at Kyle Rittenhouse, whose trial continues. Meanwhile, Rittenhouse prosecutors destroyed their own case with their own star witness. A 19-year-old wins a New Jersey school board election after his uh, senior year was ruined by COVID policies. Well, Speaker Pelosi is being slammed for attending a lavish wedding, maskless, while California children are forced to wear masks. You know, nobody wants to be the mask police, but it's a little bit off-putting when those who insist that you wear a mask virtually all the time uh, show up at events and aren't wearing theirs. Nancy Pelosi agreed with a uh, comment that the U.S. military is the largest polluter, a larger than 140 countries combined. With no context, Madam Speaker, touting her accomplishments at the climate conference, Speaker Pelosi listed items from the social spending bill that hasn't passed And a Loudoun school board meeting erupted into shouting as a parent group filed a petition to oust the board chair. The meeting erupted into shouting on Tuesday night. Parents confronted members of the school board after the parent group fight for schools filed more than 2000 signatures to remove the board chair. By the way, Denise, Brenda, Ian, Atusa, we are well over 100 percent of uh, required signatures for the petitions, Megan Jenkins said during the public comment period. So I'm going to encourage any of you to resign because when you are recalled and removed from office, it will be much more satisfying. See you in court. End quote. Megan McCain blasted the media's mockery of Winsome Sears. She, of course, is the first uh, black woman to hold a statewide office in the state of Virginia. Uh, McCain pointed out uh, that critics think it's better to have a governor in blackface than a black lieutenant governor. Governor Ralph Northam, you might recall, remained in office following a scandal in which a yearbook photo purported to show him in either a Ku Klux Klan robe or dressed in blackface. That was all right. But an actual black woman. Uh, who aspired to and attained statewide office, that's just unacceptable. A Virginia school board backtracked on the vaccine va- uh, mandate as resignations and staffing shortages mount. A judge has allowed the January 6th committee access to some Trump documents. And Brian Williams announces his split from MSNBC and NBC News after 28 years. The NFL announced the punishment for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers over vaccine mayhem and protocols. And a Treasury nominee criticized the Democrats for their reluctance to spend taxpayer money. Reluctance. I'm going to have to look that word up because I think it means something else. President Biden's nominee for Treasury appears to call for bankrupting oil, coal and gas industries. Saul Amarova. Uh, said of the oil, coal and gas industries. Here, what I'm thinking about is primarily the coal and oil and gas industry. A lot of the smaller players in that industry are going to probably go bankrupt in short order. At least we want them to go bankrupt if we want to tackle climate change. From Tom Cotton, uh, this unhinged socialist wants millions of Americans who work in the energy industry to go bankrupt. And Joe Biden picked her as his top banking nominee. Uh, Amarova has already been slammed by top GOP senators over her Marxist thesis paper, which she has yet to share with the um, Banking Committee. Uh, She wrote the thesis titled Karl Marx's Economic Analysis and the Theory of Revolution while studying in Moscow State University in Russia decades ago. But not all Democrats are on board with Amarova either. Well, CDC director Walensky implied face masks are more effective than vaccines. Rochelle Walensky Uh, Claims masks can help prevent the spread of COVID-19 by reducing your chance of infection by more than 80 percent. An absurd percentage, considering many of the vaccines aren't that effective on their own. Meanwhile, another scientific study finds being vaccinated doesn't prevent transmission. So I'm sorry, what is it that they want us to do? A general hospital star was fired after 25 years over the vaccine mandate. Ingo Rodmacher, I don't watch it, so I don't know who he is, didn't agree with the mandate and. The left got him fired. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan is a foreign policy advisor in the Clinton lawyer indictment, drawing attention closer and closer to the Clinton campaign as being the source of the dossier. And the Department of Labor or anti-faith has proposed rescinding Trump era expansion of religious exemptions. A key Biden nominee on oil companies says we want them to go bankrupt if we want to tackle climate change and terrorists, Iran, Iran. Um, their cash reserves soar under the president from four billion dollars to more than thirty one billion. And Nancy Pelosi criticized the U.S. military during the climate conference while asserting women face particularly dangers from climate change. In a case of famous last words, Janet Yellen says the Federal Reserve won't allow inflation uh, to reach the 1970s level. Meanwhile, U.S. inflation reached a 30 year high in October The American Medical Association is pushing pro-critical race theory materials in their health equity guide. And a woke slate writer claims woke is a racial slur when used by non-black people. Okay. On this day in history, 1775, the U.S. Marines are organized under the authority of the Continental Congress. 1871, journalist explorer Henry M. Stanley Find Scottish missionary David Livingston, who had not been seen or heard from in years near Lake uh, Tanganyika in Central Africa. Dr. Livingston, I presume. 1928, Hirohito is enthroned as emperor of Japan. 1938, Kate Smith first sings Irving Boleyn's God Bless America on her CBS radio program. 1954, the U.S. Marine Corps Memorial, depicting the raising of the American flag on Iwo Jima in 1945, is dedicated by President Dwight D. Eisenhower in Arlington, Virginia. 1969, Sesame Street makes its debut on national education television. 1975, the U.N. General Assembly approves a resolution equating Zionism with racism. The world body repealed that resolution in December of 1991. On this day in history, 1982, the nearly rather newly finished Vietnam Veterans Memorial is open to its first visitors in Washington, D.C., three days before its dedication. And finally, on this day in history, 2014, talks in Geneva on curbing Iran's nuclear program end with no deal after France objects that the proposed measures did not go far enough. Well, as mentioned today, November 10th, marks the anniversary uh, of the uh, Marine Corps. It was 1775. The Second Continental Congress resolved to create two battalions of Continental Marines for the War of Independence from Britain. In 1798, President John Adams signed the act establishing the United States Marine Corps. The 13th Commandant of the Marine Corps, General John Lejeune issued Marine Corps order number no. 47, directing that on November 10th, every year in honor of the Corps' birthday, the order's, uh, a summary of the history, mission, and tradition of the Corps to read to every command. The Marine hymn simply says this, From the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli, we fight our country's battles in the air, on land, and sea. First to fight for the right and freedom and to keep our, na- our honor clean, we are proud to claim the title of United States Marines. And a different version. Um, watch the Commandant's 246th Marine Corps birthday message. In 1945 at the close of the World War II, Eleanor Roosevelt in an address at Quantico stated, "The Marines uh, have seen around the I have seen around the world, have the cleanest bodies, the filthiest minds and the highest morale of the lowest morales of the, any group of animals I have ever seen. Thank God for the United States Marine Corps." That is a slap of humor that any Marine can appreciate. Wow, that's from the First Lady in 1945. Well again, today, November the 10th, marks the anniversary of the marine corps 1775 as a result of the second continental congress you're listening to the georgine rice show
1: you're listening to the georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq hey
2: welcome back you're listening to the final segment of the georgine rice show well a new report offers first uh, a first glimpse at how us congregations are navigating the covid-19 pandemic Some months into it. Well, this week, the Hartford Institute for Religious Research released a study and it gives the first glimpse of how U.S. congregations are navigating these new rules in the pandemic. And data shows that congregational life is far from being back to normal. Now, some of you probably know this already. Coming to church and finding lots of folks who used to sit next to aren't there. Well, the study, Navigating the Pandemic, a First Look at Congregational Responses, includes 2,074 survey responses from 38 Christian denominational groups from mid-June to the end of August of this year. And it's part of a larger project entitled Exploring the Pandemic, Impact on Congregations. Well, these findings from the summer clearly show that the pandemic has had a profound impact across the religious spectrum and that some churches are faring better than others. That's the principal investigator, Scott Thuma. The fact that 83% of churches had at least one member test positive for a COVID shows that almost no congregation was spared. But over two-thirds feel they will emerge stronger than before, implying these uh, faith communities are a resilient bunch. But does the uh, survey bear that out? Research shows 80% of churches are now offering hybrid services with both in-person and remote options, while only 15% are solely worshiping in person. Uh, during the height of the pandemic, when people around the country were expected uh, uh, experiencing rather severe isolation, over half of the churches surveyed, about 54%, reported completely discontinuing fellowship events rather than moving them online. So there was nothing offered in the absence of a congregation meeting together. Well, community service activities, uh, however, remained a thriving ministry for most churches and continued to be offered in person. Over 30% of congregations saw the need for food assistance, counseling, spiritual demands grew over the course of the pandemic. That's, of course, not surprising. Fortunately, many congregations, about 41%, also saw their giving increase to help meet this growing demand. That's really been a, a pleasant side of this story, that the giving has uh, increased in many places. Well, exploring the pandemic impact on congregations also found The majority of clergy at 62% encouraged parishioners to get vaccinated. 28% of congregations welcomed medical personnel to address their membership. Uh, This is the first wave of a collaborative five-year research project. It's funded by Lilly Endowment, Inc. and led by the Hartford Institute for Religious Research at Hartford International Universities for Religion and Peace, formerly Hartford Seminary. Uh, They say they're going to continue to release targeted uh, analytics uh, of more specific findings from their topical surveys, breaking down the mainline and evangelical multiracial black congregations, Latina uh, congregations and churches of differing sizes or navigating uh, the pandemic to determine how. Uh, All of this went well, a majority of Protestant churches are now open and in person, but foot traffic has been slow to return to the pews, particularly for black churches, according to this uh, another survey, Lifeway Research. Uh, the survey of about a thousand Protestant pastors, it was conducted in September from the 1st through the 29th, and it shows that some 98% of all Protestant churches are now open for in-person worship services, nearly matching pre-pandemic levels. Well, still, data on in-person church attendance looked very little like it did Now, compared to figures from January of last year, the survey showed that as of August of this year, 13 percent of churches were attracting less than 50 percent of their pre-COVID-19 attendance. Some 35 percent of pastors reported attendance levels between 50 to 70 percent for the period, while another 30 percent reported attendance levels between 70 to 90 percent of pre-pandemic levels. Well, about one in eight of all churches said that they were at attendance levels of between 90 to 100 percent, while nine percent said they had more people in August than they did prior to the pandemic. Well, many pastors, and I'm Quoting Scott McConnell, who's the executive director of Lifeway Research uh, in a statement, said many pastors and church leaders are anxious for the whole congregation to gather physically. Worship attendance is improving, but there is still a large gap between today's in-person attendance and pre-COVID levels. Now, when it comes to a breakdown of congregations by race, the survey showed that black pastors were 12.5 times Uh, More likely to uh, than white pastors to say that their in-person attendance is less than 30 percent what it was before the pandemic, showing that a revival in in in-person church attendance is being impacted by a variety of factors. Every church's path has been different during the pandemic and each stage of resuming specific aspects of ministry is significant. McConnell Again, the executive director of LifeWay Research points out as the coronavirus pandemic ravaged the country in the early months, black and brown communities were disproportionately impacted. Uh, Data released by New York City, for example, showed how the coronavirus killed black and Latino people at twice the rate it killed white people. Nationwide, data reflected a similar trend. This disparity could explain the slower return of congregations of people of color for in-person services. Well, some 73% of pastors in the survey said that their in-person attendance levels in August was fewer than 100 people, with 40% of that group reporting less than 50 people attending services each weekend. Less than 6% of the pastors reported reaching in-person church attendance levels of 250 or more. And while most small churches are still working to achieve their pre pandemic attendance levels, the survey showed that smaller churches appear to have an advantage uh, in recovering in person worshipers over larger congregations, perhaps due to the factor uh, like having a smaller crowd when some people are still worried about the pandemic. Well, most small churches are still not back to pre-pandemic attendance, but far more of them are reaching this point than larger churches, McConnell said. It's possible small churches are aided by perceived safety of a naturally smaller gathering, differences in technology options for gathering online, or the strength of relational connections. But regardless of the reasons, in-person worship attendance trends currently look promising for smaller churches, so that's sort of where we are. It is something of a generalization, although it was a uh, a decent number of uh, pastors in the case of one survey and churches in the case of the other, uh, indicating how things look for them. Uh, but it does remind us that we have a choice to make. Uh, we oftentimes find ourselves in the grocery store or at Lowe's or lots of places, we restaurants and so on that we frequent. But I wonder if church is at the bottom of that list, if it's optional, if we've become far too comfortable just doing church in our pajamas. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but I wonder if we're missing out. Well, I know we're missing out on that uh, face-to-face meeting that God calls us to, not um, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And I hope we will, in faith, uh, return to in-person service exercising all the precautions you feel necessary for your safety and that of others in the congregation, and that we can uh, once again uh, worship together as brothers and sisters in Christ, reflecting the fact that we are the body of Christ, encouraging one another, lifting one another up and so on. So there you have the uh, the latest surveys on the subject. Well, tomorrow of course is vet- yeah, veterans day. And we're going to feature in the second hour of the program, a Jerry Stewart veterans day special, which has become something of a habit here on the uh, on the day that'll be in the second hour of tomorrow's program those are always instructive and inspiring and reminds us uh, to be grateful for those who have made the ultimate sacrifice as well as those who survived the ordeal of uh serving our nation in our nation's military so that's coming up in the second hour of tomorrow's program and then on Friday we'll take a look at least in a portion of the program at the lighter side of the news so I hope you'll join us for that I want to thank James Blind, producer of today's program, Chris Williams for Engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a good night.
1: Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at grice show and like us on Facebook and join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times. On 93.9 KPDQ.